We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, everybody? Welcome into your Friday episode, Friday, May 26th. We appreciate you being here. This is the OBR Film Breakdown, hosted by Jake Burns. I'm joined by Andrew Spade. If you missed Wednesday's podcast, we started our little, uh, I guess it's called an investigation here, into positional value and team building as uh, we look at kind of the priority by which uh, teams in the AFC North are building their organization. So we're looking position by position, uh, for the most part, we are looking at uh, some of the stuff here for defense and offensive line. I'm going to kind of group them together where we do a little bit of a, a breakdown in between, but we're kind of grouping those together. So if you missed Wednesday, we did the offensive side of the football. And uh, today we're going to do defense and we'll probably just throw in a little bit of special teams just to see how invested these teams are into uh, figuring out special teams. Um, might as well, as well, right? Might as well. Before we get started, though, Andrew, I know there was one piece of um, – uh, discussion that you wanted to go over before and i should ask you the obligatory podcast question what's up how are you <laughs> not bad jake uh getting pretty good at at um just just always being not bad or pretty good uh right when the podcast starts which is really convenient because every time i can just be like yep pretty good uh it's a skill it's a yeah. skill we should also tell people we're recording this uh also on tuesday so we're jumping ahead because andrew has um, some some stuff to take care of over the next week. We 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 wanted to get something recorded here for this uh, topic because I think it's pretty good to go through both of these things kind of while your mind is on it. So if we missed anything, uh, I'm sure I'll cover it on the Thursday or Saturday show. Uh, and if it happened Friday morning or Friday late Thursday night, whatever, then I'm sorry about that. But we'll cover it at some point. But just want to make that clear. Yeah, that's a good that's a good caveat for when the Browns trade for divorce Buckner on. Uh... Friday mm, afternoon. That's what I hear. Yeah. Uh, we were talking uh, in the first half of this recording about uh, the OBR doing a retrospective. Barry McBride is is writing up a retrospective of, you know, all the stuff that the OBR has done over the years, the different incarnations. And you were mentioning, you know, the grassroots movement to keep the Browns name and uh, colors in Cleveland uh, when uh, the team, Art Modell stole the team away to Baltimore uh, in 1996. 
And it kind of got me thinking while we were recording, just like, um, man, uh, what would that look like in today's society? You know, because it, it wasn't that long ago, but it certainly was before the internet was uh, much of anything, you know, and obviously part of that documentary about, you know, the effort to save the Browns was about like an early message board and things like that. But in the age of social media and, uh, you know, the sort of instant reaction culture that we live in at this point, do you think that makes it harder or easier for Modell to get away with that? Because I think in one sense it's harder because there's so much like everybody's voice can be heard instantaneously. But, you know, from another level, it, it does feel like we're kind of at a point now as a society where we just kind of move on from thing to thing. Yeah. And yeah. no one thing really like, you know, dominates the headlines for days. I mean, I'm sure I don't have, you know, the Plain Dealers archive in front of me, but I'm sure that when the Browns announced they were moving, when Modell announced that, it was probably front page news for a week, right? And it just kind of dominates the conversation in a way that it doesn't feel like, you know, I want to get, I don't want to get too far off topic, but it doesn't feel like that happens for us anymore. So I just wondered if you had a thought. I mean, we haven't really seen a franchise move. I, I don't think in, in uh, maybe an NBA franchise move, but. but well, the Rams the are the last NFL team. I, well, the Ve- oh, right. Vegas the, took the Raiders. Right. Um, Boy, I'm way and, off base here. We have seen two yeah. franchises move. Thanks, Jake. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. But both um, of those teams had already moved, right? Yeah, so the Raiders right. had gone right, to right, LA right. as well. Mm-hmm. And yeah. So those teams weren't uprooted from like, like, again, this would be like Green Bay getting moved. Right. I mean, that these right. are the core right, the franchises at, yeah. the, at the beginning of this whole operation of the mm-hmm. NFL. So, yeah, I think your point is interesting and one that I, I think, <laughs> I just think there's such a lack of accountability in the world these days that yeah, it would have. Exactly. And, and like people in Cleveland had nothing else to talk about. Now, there were obviously things going on, the other two main sports, but you're so fixated on it. I, yeah. I could see it going both directions. I could see social media campaigns and people going crazy. But I also feel like in today's world uh, that, that there's a whole bunch of I'll just get away with whatever I want to get away with. And it right. feels like the lack of like accountability on some of that stuff and and the propensity of people to move on to the next thing to feel upset about. Uh, and I'm, I'm, listen, I, I'm no, I don't really go into politics at all on this show, but I understand a lot of perspectives, but I, I can also admit that our world gets a little too offended a little too quickly. Um, so they seem to move on from thing to thing pretty quickly. So maybe it would fizzle out and people would just be like, well, what, this is a new opportunity to name the organization, right? Or, right. or something. It, it feels like they took the Browns at a time where they had just made those late eighties runs and the 90s team went to the playoffs with Belichick and they were on the up and up. And maybe if we had spent 20 years doing what we've been doing right now, because I think if you move the Browns right now, the same thing repeated itself, but it happened now instead of 1995 or whenever the, the official time that happened. I think people would be encouraged to move on from the name because of the 23, four years. That's a great point. Terrible uh, linkage to the organization. It was not. There was not that stink back then. There was not. Mm-hmm. You're right. Wasn't even anywhere near close. So you're right. Uh, if we if we move that forward to today, I do think that there would be an uh, an interesting, especially now that we have seen the the Indians move to the Guardians, and we were a little bit more. Mm-hmm. I don't know if open is the right word. We're just more accepting of this as something that can happen to break tradition. And I think there would be a humongous faction of people who would want to keep it the Browns, but I think there'd be a little bit more openness to changing it because of the negative connotation that has come with twenty three, twenty four years of of uh, suffering here. So yeah, good, good question. I, I don't, 
I don't totally know how that would go, but uh, I think that I lean that there would be a more openness to that now than there was back then. When you're right, people picked up the sports page every day for months and months, and it was led by, you know, figuring out who broke whose heart and you know the the evil uh, model and and how can we still stick a a fork in him and you know keep the keep something of this team and you know because there was no hope that they were coming back back then. There was none. We know now, right? We know now that. There was uh, you know, what the result is. But back then it was like, these guys are gone forever and we just want to keep them from taking the name. And then, you know, when they figured out they could get another team that went all well and dandy and they were able to re refresh it all. But yeah, it's such a weird time. And that's it's one of the things, obviously I was alive, you were alive, but I don't think we were old enough to remember it. No, the way it, no. It went. That's why reading Barry's perspective, watching the yeah. video that we're referencing is, yeah, is interesting because it's just like there are yeah. certain things like I, I wish I was born 10 years earlier. I really mm-hmm. do, because I mm-hmm. think I would have enjoyed those. What little period of time pre-internet I, I received the dial up era and, and really, <laughs> like, I have flashes of that stuff, but I don't yeah. really you know, you didn't live it like right in live it, live it. And that, that that's stuff that I would have liked to have lived through. So, yeah, um, well, I, one I think. I think your your point about the Rams is probably the most relevant comparison because you know what the XFL this year the the St. Louis team had I think by far the best attendance of any team in the league and and the fans went crazy for it and so it's obvious that 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 town shouldn't really have had its franchise taken away that that was you know truly a case of of somebody buying the team seeing a business opportunity to go to a different city and make more money and just doing it because they wanted to make more money, which is the closest analog to, you know, what, what Modell was doing with the Browns, just trying to, you know, get out of the debt that he had incurred over the years. So, um, and, and, you know, I think it's, I, you know, I wasn't super dialed into what was happening with the Rams, but it does seem like it happened pretty much without a hitch, you know, and I, I know obviously they had moved to St. Louis from LA. So it's like, you know, a little bit of a, you know, it's a little bit different, but at the same time, you had an engaged fan base and a, a decent stadium. And it's so to see it disappear like that, you know, I, I do think, you know, I kind of would come down on the side of, of, you know, the, there would be some gnashing of teeth. There'd be a lot of negative press, but you know, the, you know, the, uh, what, I mean, I don't even know where they would go, but you know, the, the Birmingham Browns or whatever they would change the name to would be sure you know, would be, would be, would be allowed to happen. And then it would be a question of, you know, for 20 years, couldn't Cleveland manage to convince the NFL to give them an expansion franchise? That would be, you know, and I, I mean, <laughs> I didn't even think about the corollary of what would happen to us, Jake, in that scenario. Oh, that's, <laughs> this is very true. We'd have to alter a lot of things here. You know, what's interesting is there's not recent examples of, there's not, there are not very many where a city, uh, keeps this because like Baltimore didn't keep the Colts. They took that with them. Right. Um, yes. The, the, the Texans, sorry, excuse me. The Oilers didn't keep that name. Uh, it went to Tennessee originally. If you remember they were for a year, the Tennessee Oilers, and then they rebranded. Yes. So it's, and it's not like they, when they refilled the Houston franchise, they refilled it with, Hey, we're the Houston Oilers again, which I wish, mm-hmm. cause I hate the Texans, everything about the way that organization looks. Um, they, they obviously took that, that went with the organization. They made the decision to change to the Tennessee Titans. I guess alliteration purposes rang true. I, I don't know. I'm not a historian. <laughs> maybe there's a football historian who can chime in with why they, other than just maybe wanting to rebrand why they changed the name because there's mm-hmm. no connection maybe to Tennessee and oil and all of that, that would right. make some sense. But 
Um, we lost one of the great uniform combinations of all time in that process, but, uh, it's just, it's unique to Cleveland that the city was able to retain the nickname of the organization. That mm -hmm. is it's pretty wild when you think about it. So, um, but if there's someone else out there who knows more about this, you know, about cities, specific cities, keeping the team name in how like that is, it's uh, I feel like it's pretty rare, you know, because yeah. obviously the yeah, Rams sure. traveled and traveled back. The Raiders went to LA, then they went to Oakland. Now they went to Las Vegas and they keep their name. So mm -hmm. it's, pretty unique sort of thing there uh, right we didn't even I mention just don't the, feel like I, it yeah the chargers moved from san diego to la and nobody even talks about that it's so funny yeah. that i was i was three the teams off ends. and i'm prob probably still forgetting two or something my goodness <laughs> i think yeah. that's it i think <laughs> i hope um well the jacksonville we'll see the, the next test will be whether they'll be yeah. the london jaguars right right will they right. will they take that with them the jaguars to me more. The Jaguars. All right. Yeah. Anyway, all right. Moving off of our uh, terrible British jokes. What's up, Jack? We miss you. Um, <laughs> we're going to move to defense now on the side of this uh, umbrella study. I hope you guys are enjoying it. I think it's interesting. Uh, just a reminder of what happened on offense, how we graded these things out. Just, just like a little synopsis before the next episode hits is we said on offense, the Browns were high pretty much everywhere. Um, high priority not high in their influence, but high in their priority of positions. The only one we had a discussion on was wide receiver. If you want to know why, go back and listen. Ravens, we said that they were high everywhere except two places. They were medium prioritization of running back and offensive line. Steelers, medium prioritization of wide receiver, despite the results, which have been good, and low prioritization of the offensive line. Now, that might change. We have a hint that it could change because of Broderick Jones, their first-round pick, but for now... It's a low prioritization position group. The Bengals, the only spot that we said that they haven't invested in because they have, as, as much as the jokes have hit about protecting Joe Burrow, they have invested, prioritized, and invested. We're not looking at results here, guys. We're looking at how much cap dollars, draft picks, free agency prioritization have they used on this position. And the only one we noticed that they have not focused on for any sort of uh, importance is tight end. Otherwise, they were high on the offensive line where they've invested quite a bit lately. Wide receiver, obviously, and they spent a first overall pick on Joe Burrow. So uh, that's an offense. Let's switch to defense, Andrew, where it starts with defensive line. Okay, so um, we could say this is interesting because if you're grouping the entire defensive line, um, it, again, it gets a little tricky because I think we could say here the Browns, as far as edge players go, they've extended miles. Duh. They have um, signed Clowney to two decent contracts, $20 million plus over two years. They uh, have drafted Alex Wright in the third round. They have drafted Isaiah McGuire in the fourth round. Um, you know, they have – we can actually break this up. I don't know why. I think I looked at the cap thing that we were looking through, and I didn't see that they did them by position, uh, specific position. So we can start at edge. Um they are spending $38 million at edge this year, which is 15.4% of their cap. Um, but again, we're looking back at a three-year sample size. So I, I think that they have highly prioritized it, I think. Uh, between Miles and Clowney, those are two pretty big commitments. Uh, the drafting of Wright, uh, if you include now this year, the trading for Zadarius Smith, although uh, a friendly deal, but they're paying him decently. They went out and signed... Uh, Agua Okoronkwo, they drafted Isaiah McGuire. 
They drafted seventh-round pick last year, Isaiah Thomas. I think that's fair to say that they have highly prioritized edge. Do you agree with that? Yeah, definitely. I think the this is one, this is sort of the opposite of what the Steelers have done at wide receiver. The Browns have put a lot of resources towards this, and because a lot of those resources have been on one-year deal, the two-year, two one-year deals for Jadevian Clowney, you know, and now the, the Zadarius Smith trade, um, you know, they've been looking for solutions on a year-by-year basis, and they, in the meantime, have also been drafting players, hoping that, you know, they kind of develop into longer-term solutions, and, um, you know, so far, uh, you know, they've kind of been caught in between. Now, we'll see what happens in 2023. I think this is the strongest group they've put together since Andrew Barry got here, uh, without, without a doubt, but, you know, they really need to see two things this year. They need to see Zedarius Smith kind of continue his level of production, uh, you know, and then they also need to see either Okoronkwo, uh, show that he can be more of a three down player, uh, or, and ideally both. And then also, um, Alex Wright or Isaiah McGuire, or again, ideally both, uh, turning into players that can at least play in the rotation, right? I mean, Alex Wright played last year, but he played at a very low level, uh, very, a very a poor level. You know, I mean, he's a rookie from UAB, so I think our expectations were pretty low. And even by those standards, I, I don't know that he really did much that we could be excited about. So I think they have sent, spent some resources on it. I, I think we mentioned in the on the offensive side, if they had a first-round pick, they probably would have tried to address wide receiver the past two years. I think the other position, if they had a – if they had a first round pick last year and this year, it's, I mean, and ignoring the quarterback problem, uh, it's wide receiver and edge were probably the two. Those are the areas that need a, a first round pick right now on this roster. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Looking at the Bengals... Sam Hubbard, they drafted in the third round. Joseph Asai, they have drafted in the third round. They have extended Hubbard. Uh, they gave a nice big free agency contract to Trey Henderson. That has worked out really well. And they have drafted Miles Murphy in the first round this past year. Drafted fourth rounder Cam Sample there, all the way in on edge in Cincinnati. Yeah, for so sure. We don't need to go too deep into that one. Uh, and obviously, these defenses are a little different, you know, based on alignment stuff. So, like uh, the Ravens. Edge guys, Odafe Owe, who they took in the first round uh, of uh, 21. Tyus Bowser, I think, is a little bit of more of like as like a rush player mm-hmm. for them. For sure. Um, so he's been extended because he was a seven, 2017 second round pick. They took fourth rounder Tavius Robinson 
This past year, they take they've selected second rounder David Ajab, David Ayabo. I forget if it's a job. I think it's a soft J. Oyabo, David Ayabo. Anyway, um, yeah, they've invested a first, a second, and an extension. They are all the way yep. in on edge pressure. Yep. They're but in, they're not uh, they're not Baltimore. paying much. You know, fourteen million against nope. the cap this year because you know most of their players are either cheap or or um, uh, rookies. You know, on their rookie deals. Yeah, the Bengals are forking out 37 so they're right there with the browns but a higher percentage of their cap 16.7 for those guys okay all right so uh baltimore also all in pittsburgh clearly is also all in tj watt who they selected <laughs> the all extended the all inest uh, alex highsmith they took in the third round and it has worked out for them yep they took quincy in the sixth round uh, of 21 then they took nick herbig this year in the fourth round uh, of of this draft and uh, i don't know if there's any others no i mean they got they got a really fortunate break they lost bud dupree to free agency and alex highsmith came in and has turned into a really good player for them i don't think they've invested quite as much as some others but they have invested enough to be all in at that position so high priority for everybody at defensive end now defensive tackle well, real quick i should not skip over these two things uh pittsburgh's uh, commitment to the position room at edge is so ooh, that can't be listed right I know they have the group strange. They they have Cam Hayward and Larry Ogunjobi as edge players. So we're not going to, again, these three, four, four, three dynamics can get a little weird. So. Yeah. Oh, I, I see. What yeah. That's weird. what's that. Yeah. They've got Hayward and Ogunjobi and Montrevious Adams. None of those guys are edge players. What are we doing here? Yeah. Yeah. They got them linked up. It's Evans. like these uh, three, four guys who are four eyes or right. Like sort of B gap centric yeah. players. They okay. list them as well. edges. So semantics. Anyway, we'll, we've uh, covered all those. I think it's a pretty high priority. Yeah, now, right. defensive tackle, I think I I think that even this year, the Browns, I guess we're looking at – it's tough, dude. It's kind of – it's really yeah. hard because yeah. I think they have shifted, but does that deserve to go from low to medium? I guess you could take it to medium now because they signed Dalvin to a big contract, and they have drafted third-rounders and fourth-rounders. Yeah. They've drafted – who's a third rounder they've drafted elliot who's a third rounder tommy's a fourth rounder perion winfrey's a fourth rounder and they went out and signed uh maurice hurst and tristan hill i think Dave we got last say, year yeah Dave and brian they've they've done some things it's shifted from low to medium it's I but agree. it's at the borderline bottom of medium yep. to me i agree um, i agree and i, I and i think crazy to talk about there but go ahead no i i just think that uh the 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 issue here is that they haven't they haven't been you know haven't hit on any of these draft picks all right you you listed them all off you're absolutely right to do that and they also took a few flyers on guys you know Malik McDowell a few years ago uh character concerns uh not in the league uh you know and and then uh different flyers but Maurice Hurst and Tristan Hill as you mentioned also those are flyers so they they're it really is they want to be low obviously right they, mm-hmm. they they i don't think they wanted to hand out the dalvin tomlinson contract but i think jim schwartz probably just said like i uh guys seriously yeah we can't do this yeah this is not gonna work so 14 million 14.2 five percent of the cap that tells us it's a low investment now dalvin's cap number is a little finicky yeah so it's, it's, that it's, one's tricky yeah, but even if it jumps down. it up to, to, to eight nine ten it's still a very low number for them mm-hmm. so i could see the argument for low i think we're putting them as sort of like the low medium mm-hmm. number there uh looking around cincinnati has uh picked they, they've actually been a little bit more um frugal about this so they they signed dj reader but they didn't break the bank but he's a great player 
They traded for BJ Hill, who is uh I think they traded Billy Price for him to New York, if I recall, the center from yeah, Ohio State. Good pull, yeah. And then Zach Carter, they took in the third round last year. He was not very good. But that's kind of it. I don't think we can call them prioritizing defensive tackle. I feel like that's a medium for me. Yeah, they I haven't agree. really drafted anybody and they've signed DJ Reader, but yeah. It feels like that's one of their positions where the process has not been hugely committed, but they've gotten still some nice results. Right. I mean, I think we're going to say that about them other than edge. I think we're going to say that about them throughout the defense, right? That they have had a real knack for identifying, uh, you know, value free agent signings uh, across the defense. Yeah. So DJ reader has a 15.5 million cap hit this year. And BJ Hill has a 10 million cap hit this year, both of which are plumpy, but the Browns are going to have that sort of reader type number come up with Tomlinson at some point. Yep. So uh, I would say a solid medium. You could, you could point them in the direction of high, but uh, as as opposed to low, but they're probably right there in the middle. Um, Baltimore. Let's see here. Baltimore has done the following. Michael Pierce was came in. He's been extended. He's been brought back. He's he's been around. Travis Jones, Yukon kid they took in the third round. Roderick Washington of uh, 22, sorry. Roderick Washington fifth round in 20 uh 2020. Um let me see here. Um that's kind of it. They mm-hmm. have uh I would say they're on the low end now. I mean they had uh, pieced it together and done really fared really well because of uh, who's the he left this year. We were very interested Campbell, in Calais Campbell. Calais Campbell yep. had been a big part of things. Now Brent Urban, I should I should I'm, I'm talk too soon again. These three four four three discrepancies. Yep. Also Justin Matabuka is a third round pick who's a really good player yep. for them, and Brent Urban who they yep. signed uh, yep. a couple times. I'd still say that's a medium. I don't yeah. think they've highly no, prioritized agree. it. They haven't yeah, drafted I, anybody big mm-hmm. time in there uh, and they haven't extended. I mean, they brought Pearson a couple times, but like if your best players in there are a fifth, a third and a third. So yeah. it feels medium. Yeah. And I mean, really, if you look at the, the resources they've spent, they've spent less than the Browns. They've got more production, but they spent less than yeah. the Browns. This is true. So defensive tackle for them, it looks like it's labeled correctly on this. Uh, the Steelers defense must really confuse yeah. Over the cap or spot rack yeah. or whatever here. Yeah. 10 million is what they have. Only 4.8% of their cap. So they're very cheap in there. Mm-hmm. Um, Matabuke and Michael Pierce make 3.2 and 3.01 against the cap this year. So Pittsburgh's different. They're tricky. Um, Cam Hayward has been extended. They have prioritized Cam Hayward. Put it yeah. that way. <laughs> they, he has always been the guy that they have taken care of. He was drafted way back in the first round of 2011 and is still doing dominant things. Mm. He's going to make $22 million this year, so that puts them toward the high prioritization line. They've paid Larry Ogunjobi well a couple times Yep. in free agency. They have drafted DeMarvin Leal in the third round. They just drafted Keanu Benton in the second round. Feels like with the second rounder, multiple extensions, and another free agent in the mid to high price range at the position, that's a high, high value for them. Would you agree? I, I would agree. Yeah, I would. Okay. And, uh, you know, I just just – going back to the Ravens for just a second I Justin Matabike is a, is a name that I mean I I assume they 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 extend him at some point soon but uh mm-hmm. but I don't think they have yet and uh, that's a player that would really fit well next to Dalvin Tomlinson if if that opportunity presented itself next offseason 
If they let him go, they're kind of hurting. I would be surprised. But you never know with these French, especially now when Lamar's contract's going to kick in and all that stuff. Yeah, so just, just some idle speculation there. But yeah, the Steelers, it's, it's, I mean, it's really been the lifeblood of their team. You go back to Casey Hampton, right? And, uh, I'm sure I'm forgetting other names. They, they've always had a strong defensive interior. It's obviously something that they prioritize. And, and you know, there's a culture around it too, right? That they can bring in guys mm-hmm. that, that haven't done it at, at a high level. And I mean, Montrevious Adams is a name who, you know, kind of bounced around the league and then gets to Pittsburgh. And he, he at least fits the system and he does what he's supposed to. Yeah, even the Isaiah Loudermilk kid who they took in the fifth round of 21. Exactly. Another one out of Wisconsin. It's been decent for them. So they're the only team with with edge and defensive tackle high prioritization. Everybody else on the D tackle side was medium. Um, now linebacker, which uh, it should be interesting. Um, let me see here. So the Browns only have ten point one for just a, a barely over four percent of their cap committed to linebacker. Jok in the second round, cheap contract. Uh, to Anthony Walker, cheap contract to bring back Sione Takitaki. They did take Jacob Phillips in the third round. Tony Fields in the fifth round. That's it. I feel like it's medium because linebacker is so the just the general value, like taking a second and a third round linebacker and signing some guys. It might be low, but it's like low to medium for me. Yeah. I don't know. Do you think it's low? We can we can compare the division because the rest of the division will kind of tell the story. But it feels yeah, I mean, like medium. I, I think it's. I agree with you. It's right on that verge. I'm just off the top of my head thinking about what the Steelers have done at the position and what the Ravens have done trading for Roquan Smith. I'm and drafting Patrick yeah. Queen in the first. I'm I'm tempted to say it's low, kind of by comparison. Okay, that we'll come back. We'll revisit. So yeah. Cincinnati has done well. But they've actually invested less. This is an example of process and results, right? Yep. So Cincinnati has drafted Jermaine Pratt and Logan Wilson in the third round of two straight drafts and extended both of them. Mm-hmm. I think they're going to extend Logan Wilson. I actually don't know if they've extended Logan Wilson yet. But they brought back Jermaine Pratt. Yeah. So they took both those guys in the third. Akeem Davis-Gaither out of App State, they took in the fourth round of 2020. They took a seventh rounder, Marcus Bailey. They're probably medium. Right, yep. they they've just had nice fortune mm-hmm. on these guys. They took in the third round. They've drafted well there, so yeah. they're above the Browns. They, I I don't know if you can even say that. Actually, I feel like they just have drafted better. Well, they're I would probably say around the same line, right? But they yeah, did extend just, Pratt. That's the so. thing. It's it's extending yeah. Pratt. It's paying Pratt. Yeah. You know, if the Brown if the Browns that's extend that's JOK, if JOK has another good year and they extend him, then they they they're for sure a medium. Got it. Okay, so low for Browns. Bengals are in the medium uh, department. I mean, Baltimore, we don't even need to debate. It's heavy, <laughs> heavy investment. First rounder in Queen, third rounder in Malik Harrison, if you forgot that. They just took Trenton Simpson in the third round. Great point. And traded at first for Roquan Smith. So, like, they are above and beyond everybody on this one by yeah. a wide margin was it, of how much they prioritize backer. Was it a first for Roquan or was it like two, two twos or something? I thought it was something. Maybe it was only a second. Maybe I, I could be wrong about that. Because I, I Pittsburgh think, then also did the Claypool for a second thing. So like right. there was a whole bunch of weird stuff. I think that's what on. it was. Is that they the Bears traded their second to the to the Raven or no other way around? They, they they could trade their second to the Steelers because they had the Ravens second. I believe is what happened. 
trying to look it up. So they are on Tuesday sending the Bears a second and a fifth. So still, it's pretty high. Yeah. Oh, for sure. To also, no, they extended him right then and yes, there too. and that's the, so that's, that's the huge right. Part. No, that's the big issue is that they extended him and 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 on top of having drafted Queen in the first round, it's just it's so much resources at the position, so many resources. Yeah. Uh, Seventeen million, seven point six four percent of their cap. But the Bengals goes to linebacker uh, for Baltimore. Linebacker gets again. I want. I don't want it to be weird where they have guys that aren't actually. See, it's a little tricky because they have like Tyus Bowser as a linebacker. Mm. It's high. Nine million to Roquan, four million to Patrick Queen, another one and a half to Malik Harrison, and then a million to Trenton Simpson, the third rounder this year. So you're looking at a pretty heavy commitment on their side, just largely because of draft capital at this point. But Patrick Queen did get a. Uh, I think not Patrick Queen, but Roquan got top linebacker money. I'm pretty sure. So that tells That's the story right. in and of itself. That's right. Um. Okay, last is Pittsburgh. Now, Pittsburgh's a little tricky because in 2020, right, or was it 19, but I think it was 20 where they drafted um, it was Devin Bush. Devin Bush, yeah. They, took, they traded up for him. They sure did. In the first 10, round. But yeah. if we're looking for the last three years, we probably have to eliminate that and say, what have they done lately? Well, they didn't extend him. They brought right. in Miles Jack for a season. So they're on the, the low end of this. And now... You look at their linebacker room, their inside linebackers, and you're like, okay. I mean, they have yeah. Cole Holcomb from Washington, who's a decent football player. To Landon Roberts is a, is a physical right. linebacker, but this is by far the weakest group in the division. I mean, they uh-huh. don't, they don't have anybody else mm-hmm. like Mark yep. Robinson. They drafted in the seventh round of last year's draft. They brought in Tanner Muse from Seattle, but like that's that's a weak point of their defense. As yep. much as they build up front, is 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 kind of what they are skimping on and probably Devin Bush just changed like their complete <laughs> rewind of what we need to dump into that position. So yeah. I would say they're very low while the, you know, so if we're saying the Browns are low, the Bengals are medium, the Ravens are high Pittsburgh joins the Browns at the low, but I think they're below the Browns in terms of, I agree with you. Position. I agree with you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Look at corner now. So corner, ha- I should say Pittsburgh's commitment to linebackers has got to be cheap. I wonder how they have them listed. So well, they got commit, Watt in there again somehow. Yeah. yeah. They only commit 2.7 to Holcomb, 2.3 to Landon Roberts, and 1.1 to Tanner Muse. It's a very low number. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, okay, corner the Browns are high. I mean, we can't say anything else. Very simple. <laughs> They've committed a ton of resources. Denzel, when they drafted him in the first, extended him. Drafted Greg Newsom in the first, probably looking at extending him. Drafted Martin Emerson first of their entire picks in 22 in the third round. They brought back A.J. Green. Uh, I don't think I'm missing anything else. So they brought back Thomas Green. Yeah, they've invested heavily. They have 22 mm-hmm. million tied into the position group, 8.8% of the cap. Anything to yeah. add? Nope, you covered it. Okay, so Cincinnati now, Cam Taylor-Britt, they took in the second. D.J. Turner, they took in the second this year. Uh, they, they have uh, signed Chitabe Awuzie to a nice contract free agency they brought in a flyer on Sidney Jones they brought in Mike Hilton again I think they're pretty high on the spectrum here they've just they haven't committed a first but they've committed quite a bit of uh quite a bit of resources to it still agreed okay all right Baltimore now so we have uh this is where they they've gone in reverse they did extend Marlon Humphrey who's very good yeah Yep. But they let go of Marcus Peters, and they didn't really replace him with any sort of significant talent. Rocky Sen from Las Vegas, the Raiders, he comes over. But then it's like fourth-rounder Jalen Armour uh, Davis, Kyle Blue Kelly, they drafted in the fifth round this year. 
their nickels, Brandon Stevens, they took in the third round last year, or sorry, in 2021, they took a fourth rounder, Demarion Davis, or sorry, Demarion Williams. I guess you could say they're they're close to high. They're medium high, right? I yeah. mean, yep. they gave you sin decent money, like low end decent money. They gave Marlon Humphrey a pretty big extension. Then they took, like we said here, let me reread. So they took a fourth, a third, a fourth, and a fourth. So yeah. medium feels. Uh, yeah, me. high end to medium. I agree. Okay, so also their commitment financially, they're giving Humphrey a 19.9 number this year. So they're yeah. $29 million committed to the corner room there, 13.3% of their cap. All right, so we have Cleveland high since everybody's prioritizing corner. Now we get to, to Pittsburgh. <laughs> Even though they took Joey Porter Jr., who I like a ton in the second round this year, sure. Levi Wallace, they, they, Buffalo, they drafted Corey Trice in the seventh round. They brought in Patrick Peterson to a one-year, like, $8 million deal. They have Chandon Sullivan, Duke Dawson. Uh, they have um, Pierre, James Pierre, Chris Wilcox. Mm-hmm. That is low prioritization for them. So low at linebacker and corner for them right now. Agreed. Which is interesting. Agreed, okay. yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the you know, they've, they're trying to piece it together, right? But uh... – and and obviously if Joey Porter Jr. you know becomes a player for them it it changes the the look of this a little bit but uh or not not really for this exercise just in terms of the look of the room but it's it's really interesting to me the way that they've allocated the resources on their defense they're you know they're giving so much money to Cam Hayward and TJ Watt that they they and and then Fitzpatrick that they you know the three stars approach on defense is not something you see that often in the league right like yeah, you know, it's like the Bengals, they kind of, it's like a, you know, it's a group of guys all getting paid, you know, four to $6 million. The Steelers, it's, you know, three really high price free or, uh, you know, contracts, uh, extensions that they've handed out that it kind of makes the rest of their defense really hard to navigate. It is an interesting position they're in. So they've spent 17 million at corner, 7.6% of their cap. Levi Wallace at 5.5, Patrick Peterson at 4.25. And then some one million dollar uh, others, it's kind yep. of there. So. It's so crazy too. When when we're looking at these cat, you know, it's cap spending by position on spot track, and uh, the Rams are at the bottom at every defensive position other than defensive tackle. It's just going to be such an interesting season in in LA when they yeah. they're literally going to play a no name defense, Aaron Donald and ten guys you've never heard of. It is going to be. It's going to. Yeah, I feel like it could drive Aaron Donald to retirement. So Cincinnati is the only team, sorry, Pittsburgh's the only team with sort of a weird philosophy that's differing from everybody else with their corner and linebacker situation. Most others are medium or high. Now, safety is tricky. The Browns um, are pretty committed to it. They've spent spent a significant amount of resources there over time. Mm -hmm. If you're looking at the last three years, Delpit, second rounder, Thornhill, free agent, decent money. They obviously signed John Johnson to top of the the market money. They brought in Rodney McLeod. And then, um, like I said, they've total spent is $22 million, largely because of John Johnson's current money that will go away here in a bit. But that's still pretty good investment at the position. I feel like they're in the high priority of safety now with, with how they've gone about it with McLeod and Thornhill this year. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think, you know, the John Johnson money coming, a lot of it coming off of the cap here in a few days, uh, you know, even though that that changes the cap, it doesn't really change what we know about how they've approached the position. You know, I mean, I think, you know, 
cutting Johnson to go out and sign Thornhill. It's not like they were, you know, uh, trying to, you know, improve necessarily as much as they just, they swung and miss on a player and, and then tried to replace him. Yeah. Yep. I'm with you. So they let Bates go. Obviously that tells you, I mean, they can't extend everybody, but that does tell you, you, you have to prioritize certain things, right? So they let Bates go. They let Von Bell go as well. They brought in Nick Scott from the Rams on a cheaper deal. They did draft Jordan battle with a third round pick this year. And Dax Hill's a first round pick. I still feel like they're highly prioritizing it, even though they let guys walk. I mean, taking a third and a first and signing somebody is not nothing, right? So like they're committing 10 million, essentially 9.34% of their cap. Still feel like they're prioritizing it. Do you, is that high to you or medium? No, I, I think it's, I think it's high. I think, you know, it's, it's one of the areas where they've been more aggressive in terms of replacing these players through the draft um, mm-hmm. as compared to other areas of their defense. So certainly I think within the context of how they've approached building their defensive roster, they're, they're on the high end. Okay. Fair. Uh, looking at Baltimore, Kyle Hamilton's a first round pick, big contract to Marcus Williams. They drafted Geno stone in the seventh round of 2020. Uh, they don't have a ton of depth behind it, but when you sign a big contract to Marcus Williams from the Saints at the time and you, you draft Kyle Hamilton in the first round, that's a high prioritization to me. 3.7 to Kyle Hamilton and 7.3, so $15 million total to the position. Yeah, definitely. Definitely high. Definitely. Yep. Pittsburgh's a little tricky because they let longtime uh, safety Terrell Evans go. They They didn't give him another contract. They denied his, he was a first round pick, which was a surprise way back when that happened. And then they didn't pick up his fifth year option, which would have been close to 7 million, but they did bring him back for the fifth year on a $2.5 million deal. But this year he's gone, but they brought in Keanu Neal on a low end deal. Not very much committed to him. I don't think, let me make sure I have the exact amount. Um, they brought Keanu Neal in for 1.5 and they brought in DeMonte Casey to bring in as many former Falcons as possible. So they brought in (laughs) 2.1. They have miles Killebrew who they spent 2.4 on was with Detroit last. And then they obviously traded a lot of capital to Miami for Minka Fitzpatrick and they have extended him at 8 million. So I feel like they're also a high prioritization at safety. I feel like that has to be what they're labeled as, right? Because they're 15 million committed to it, almost seven percent of their cap. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I think it's I think it's high, and I think that I'm I'm pulling up the Fitzpatrick numbers here, and and uh, you know his his cap hit is 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 decent the next or these first two years, but then it's t- over 20 the next three. Yeah. Um, you know, if they decide if unless they decided to move on, so. Having yeah, having a safety with a twenty million dollar cap hit for for a year or two is is definitely a, a high priority. It is a high priority, and uh, it looks like they're they're going to be the outlier of defense because most teams have strong corner commitments. The Steelers don't. The safeties are pretty universally high across the board. Linebacker, the Steelers are the team that has the lowest commitment to linebackers. Although the Browns and um. Bengals are sort of that low medium range while the Ravens are the outlier there where they're heavy commitment to linebacker. All teams committed to edge players prior, prior, you know, obviously a priority position. And then defensive tackle is where Pittsburgh is the outlier with a very high prioritization there where it feels like others are sort of committing fringe commitments to that. So uh, that sums it up. Uh, I don't think the Browns are not as different as you think from some teams. They're, they're 
really sort of similar in a lot of ways yep. uh, to these uh, teams. And, and, and obviously we're talking about some of their commitments. I mean, they didn't have many low. I mean, the only one that we said that they were low on would be linebacker. Right. And I can even see where you could say, well, how low are they? Cause they did commit a second and third round picks to those over the last three years. So absolutely. That's interesting. That's really yeah. interesting. Now special teams really quickly. Mm-hmm. Chris Boswell, they they're committed to him. They, they drafted Pittsburgh is they drafted him. Uh, they don't, I don't know if they drafted him. I think he might be UDFA, but they've extended him. That's a lot, right? They drafted a punter. So they have high prioritization to specials. They've drafted a punter and they've extended a kicker multiple times. That's high commitment. The Browns, Bjorquez doesn't mean much to me. They've shuffled punters, but they have committed a fourth rounder to a kicker. So it feels like they're pretty committed to one half of that. So that probably puts them at a medium. Yeah. The Bengals uh, I think are. They're, they're paying Charlie Hewlett too as a, you know, I don't, I don't have that's his true top in top of me, end but... of snapper yeah yeah up into that money too yeah. so medium high yeah I think I like um evan mcpherson's a fifth round pick for the Bengals, and they just drafted a punter in the sixth so pretty committed to special teams there the ravens have you know what are you going to do with justin tucker you're just going to keep paying <laughs> it but they also just drafted in 22 a punter in the fourth round so they're committed right. so actually pretty high prioritization mm-hmm. on specials from every team the only team where i'm like yeah the punter is whatever is the Browns with Bjorquez, you know? Yeah. Well, and, and to that point, I would just say that, you know, we, we saw today Brandon McManus got cut by the Broncos Mm -hmm. and -hmm. it's like, I mean, I understand why the Browns felt they needed to make a move at kicker, you know, from where they were, but this is why you don't draft a kicker because a guy like Brandon McManus, who is a, an absolute, you know, uh, I mean, one of the better kickers in the league and, and, and exactly what, what the Browns would need is available. You know, the Browns can't touch them because they've tied themselves to Cade York. I mean, if they were still playing kicker roulette, uh, you know, they could dump whoever they're with, and you know, they could pull a Mike prefer with, uh, with Brandon McManus, right. Where they, they, Oh, Bubba Ventron's available. Okay. Well, thanks. Thanks Mike for all your hard work and we'll see you. We'll see you soon. So, um they're tied to Cade one more year at minimum here yeah sure. i think i think at least one more full year no matter what happens and especially since they changed the special teams coach so it's a little frustrating because mcmanus is like the silver bullet that solves all your kicker woes and you know he's just available for free out there but uh whatever that's <laughs> that's spilt milk for sure i don't know how did he do last year i didn't look up his statistics to put him on the market is interesting to me yeah um yeah. Brandon McManus stats. Let's see if he had yeah, a let's decent dig in. year. Um, so he last year went 28 of 36. So that's actually on the lower end of the spectrum. He went 8 of 13 from deep. His his issues were longer kicks. Although right. he missed two in the 30 to 39 range, which doesn't help. <laughs> but he's been, you know, he's been an 80% kicker his whole career. So we'll, we'll just We'll go ahead and 32. just pilot a, a new segment here where uh, Jake fact checks Andrew. And I, anytime I say something confidently, you know, you can just kind of jump in and be like, I mean, it could, uh, the, it the, could the, have been an outlier. Rams here. moved from St. Louis to Los Angeles. <laughs> and uh, actually, Brandon McManus in the worst year of his career last year. It's good. Uh, well, it's good content. He's a lot of schadenfreude out there for those of you that uh, don't like me on this podcast. <laughs> Stop it. He's due to come back to 85% somewhere. He's also kicking in Denver, which does help a little bit. But No, it know. does. It does. There's a little bit of a bonus for kicking out there, especially with the long ones. No, I, I just think it's interesting, you know, that when we're talking about the way this is built, it's like, you know, and and obviously it's so hard to predict your year to year. So um, other than Justin Tucker, uh it, it feels like you shouldn't invest that much, but as you, as you said, 
all of these teams do seem to to prioritize it. Yeah, it would be to me, it would be a discussion right now if they were shuffling through kickers the way they were before, but they're too committed to it to the bit right now with York, but he cannot repeat the shanks of last year. So what I wanted to show with this exercise was that the Browns are building their it's again, the results might be different in some spots, but the process is pretty similar to these organizations around, you know, around the division who are really successful. So I don't know if there's anything learned from this or not, Andrew, but I feel like there's, uh, at least you can lean into the fact that like, well, you know, how are the Ravens and the you know the Steelers getting all these results? The Bengals, the process isn't different. It's the pieces around the process, right? How they're developing, how they're formulating. The, and I think that might be a large part of what the Browns are trying to do with the development of culture and the, and the way they're approaching this off season. You know Absolutely. I mean? Absolutely. Yep. And, and it's, you know, it's, it's definitely a, a, a conversation we've had a few times, but the biggest gap in the in the division is between you know the the way that John Harbaugh runs the Ravens the way that Mike Tomlin runs the Steelers and and the Browns continual struggle to get that sort of culture to stick in Cleveland and um you know I I think I think they're they're really putting it in overdrive this year because they they can't they have too much talent on the team to let those sorts of infighting type issues uh bring them down you know yeah I agree well, hopefully you guys took something out of this the way we did. It's actually fun to go through and, and look at and think yeah. about how other teams are building these things and whether the Browns are on par with that or if they're just going about it in a completely different manner. The thing I can tell you is this was really enlightening to how much money they're spending, how much money, mm-hmm. how much mm-hmm. how much uh, draft capital, and all of the ways they've been creative with trades. To be this highly prioritizing every single position that we mentioned. Now there were a couple that they weren't D tackle linebacker. Right. And we even argued a little bit about wide receiver. It's fair to me to say Jimmy's spending money. They're finding ways to erase some of the mistakes that they made, but Jimmy's willing to spend and they're being creative to, to solve issues at positions, to put them into the tier of, of uh, highly invested where maybe they shouldn't be where you look at a team like Pittsburgh and you're like, they're focusing efforts here and here. Well, the fringe is a little tighter in terms of money spent. Uh, the difference between cap and actual money out the door. That's where Jack Duffin has illuminated that so well for us. The Browns advantage from Haslam on money spent versus mm-hmm. uh, cap structure. So enlightening stuff. We did the offense. If you missed that one, go check it out. We did the defense now. I had a lot of fun. Andrew, appreciate you, man, very much. Always a pleasure, Jake. Thanks for uh, having me on. And, uh, you know, next time we'll, well, I guess we'll do another one for the, just the special teams, right? Yeah, well, we we could, right? You know, we yeah. could just really, uh, spend 40 minutes an, an hour talk. on Brandon McManus if you want. You know, we could spend an hour there. Uh, no, Let's he'll be back. Driving. Andrew, yeah, that's right. Andrew will be back next week. He's got some traveling to do. We'll catch up with him. Uh, like I said, check in uh, tomorrow on the mailbag edition. We'll do that weekend mailbag. Get those questions submitted. I've told you how to send them over. Twitter, direct message on the OBR, or through Jake at the OBR.com. Send them through email. I appreciate you guys being here, hanging out. Thanks to Andrew for taking time to do this, especially doing two recordings in one day, which is tricky. So I appreciate you guys also being here, stopping by. Rate and review the pod. It would mean a ton to me. Uh, Give us feedback whenever you can. Always great. Thanks, guys. Have a great Friday. Go Browns.